Hello, and welcome back to Platform Enterprise, a podcast for people who are pissed off with capitalism. I'm your host, Rachel Donald. I'm an investigative journalist and a writer. You can find some of my work over at platformenterprise.com, where you can also sign up to get these podcast episodes delivered to your inbox every week. On this week's show is Will Evans, who co-created Ignition Brewery, the UK's first brewery and taproom bar staffed exclusively by people with learning disabilities. Will explains that his colleagues were typically offered jobs that kept them hidden in back rooms or storage centres, and Ignition Brewery has successfully shown that not only can his colleagues exceed in public-facing roles, but also everything else, from managing the bar to making the beer. This is a wonderful story of community, and I hope you all really enjoy it. Uh, If you do, please give the show a five-star rating and leave a comment to tell us what you think. All right, thanks everyone. Enjoy the show. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Well, thank you very much for having me, Rachel. Well, thank you for coming. Um, could you give some background to Ignition Brewery for listeners who will have never heard of it? Sure, of course. And um, they're probably alongside the vast majority of other people as well. We're, <laughs> we're a very small, not-for-profit social brewery housed in southeast London. And we were founded six, well, yeah, coming up to six years ago in September, uh, as a response to the stubbornly high level of unemployment in people with learning disabilities in the UK and to an extent worldwide as well. And, and that was at a time, I suppose, if you look pre, pre-pandemic, when as a country we were practically at full employment, right? So yes, of course, there is a level of unemployment, but there is always a level of unemployment. But as a country, we were practically at full employment and still all of the other things that have been done, the projects, the activities, the programs to try and push down this this incredibly high level of unemployment have not had a massive or indeed in any way significant impact. So in uh, 2015, you know, we thought if we can't keep on going to large businesses and asking them to create a role, you know, in the back room, pot washing or pushing a pushing a trolley around, and if we can't influence others to make a dent on this, we'll we'll try and start something up ourselves. And in doing that, um, the key thing is to highlight the talents of the the guys that we employ. So we had to find something that was appropriate, uh, something that was aspirational, and something which is capable of achieving that. And the answer to that based on some loose uh, research, a bit of economics in the background, uh, and also talking to the guys was was a microbrewery. You know, 2015, uh, craft breweries, very popular, starting the transition from nondescript, flabby, imported continental lager <laughs> to something made locally with a bit of love and a bit of passion and a bit of variation. Um, and that's, you know, that's where Ignition was founded. So our core purpose is to create meaningful jobs for people with learning disabilities, and broader than that, to try and influence in our small way others in understanding how they can be more inclusive in employability and how they can reflect, you know, the society that sustains them and allows them to grow. Um, I suppose in the, in the early days, we neither neither myself nor Nick um, have any idea how to brew beer. Uh, so the first the first few years was you know, the generous way to describe it as experimental. You know, you have to ask some pretty simple questions. Can we make a beer which is nice? Yes, um, we found out, not without uh, some <laughs> some slightly odd results along the way. Can we mm-hmm. can we make a beer which is nice consistently? You know, consistent flavour and consistent quality. Yes. Will people buy beer that has been brewed by people with learning disabilities? Yes. 
and do the team enjoy doing it? Are they capable of doing it? Are they capable of growing in their roles and doing it? Does it highlight their talents? Yes. Um, and since then, things have you know moved on quite well. Um, we opened our tap room in 2018. And, Sorry, uh, what's a what's a tap room? So our our microbrewery is housed is quite an odd place, but very charming. So do visit if you're if you're in Sydney and South East London. It's housed in a community centre, so a high street community centre. The back room, which was a previously was a disused activity room, right? And when we walked in there, it was one of the most horrendous spaces you've you can conceive of. And the lady that showed us around sort of gave us a bit of a preface before walking in and just said, look, just you're going to need your imagination for this. I don't know what a microbrewery looks like, but use your imagination. And it had basically been the dumping ground for the majority of, I don't know, uh, disused, broken equipment for the whole of the council, shoved into a single room with a few dead squirrels and a, a gaudy and rather uh, ill-treated paint scheme. Anyway, so we moved in there, uh, redid the whole place. Uh, we had to whip the window out to chuck the brewery in because it didn't fit through the door and take the ceiling out, all that sort of thing. And then in 20, it must have been the very beginning of 2018, uh, we, we spoke to the you know the, the council again and said, what we'd love to do is take the front room, which has massive, great big windows onto the high street, public facing, um, and we'd love to turn that room into a tap room. So it's basically a bar. Right now, the traditional tap room attached to a microbrewery is very spit and sawdust, uncomfortable benches, you know, dirty floor, but there's a tap there and you can just get the fresh beer and, and, and enjoy yourself. Ours is not quite the same as that. It is in a community centre, but it is a bit like that. It's a, you know, it's a, an easy place to have a nice time. Huge windows onto the high street and our beer travels six metres from where it's brewed to where it's served. And the key oh. thing for that, which we didn't, I don't think we realised in the full extent, the key thing is about... It provides that final step for our guys. It, it's a direct interaction, a positive interaction with the community. So they are selling the beer that they have made to people in the community for market price, market value. And that's fantastic. You know, that's the piece that is missing normally is this interaction in, in the wider society and just being a part of normal community life. Um, and yes, yeah, so I think that's the that's the most wonderful thing that's come out of it. It also allows us to control our supply chain and all that sort of thing, host events and do do a lot more, uh, a lot of other fun things as well. But that's that's where we got to with the tap room. Um, yeah, so that was 2018. And now we've sort of got to the point where we've got a model that works. We pay everyone local living wage, London living wage, but local living wage. Uh, we've got a sustainable business model and we're, we're looking at how we can hopefully find others who will want to repl replicate that model in other communities. Um, all over the country and indeed if demand exists the world oh fantastic monologue over right what an amazing project i mean i figured it would be just from you know the brief introduction i, I had to it from alice but wow and you've and you've actually and this is sort of the incredible thing like what 99 percent of businesses fail in their first year and you guys have set up this microbrewery with no experience with a collective of people with learning disabilities and you've made it a success for everybody involved and for the business itself. Congratulations. Uh, well, thank you very much. Well, I mean, it's, you know, and it's, it's the strength of what we do as our team. They mm. are reliable, they learn well, and that is what people, you know, brings people to the tap room. And, you know, if you, yeah. <laughs> the, the great strength of it is that most people turn up having no idea who we are or, you know, what are called, you know, none of the not-for-profit stuff. And they come in thinking, oh, what an odd place to have a microbrewery and tap room on High Street, have a lovely mm -hmm. time. And at some point, you know, learn learn a bit about our story. And that's a, that's a good thing because it changes perception and it sort of gives people an, 
easy way to get into talking to people learning disabilities and feeling comfortable doing so. Mm. And this, okay, so, sorry. Well, and this was, so when we set up, I mean, the other point about brewing or the, the wider brewing industry is when we set up, there wasn't a lot of social brewing going on, right? Now it is commonplace, it's brilliant. So there's all these different breweries that have sprung up that, you know, um, donate money to water companies or water charities that give other people opportunities, all these sorts of things. And, and back then it wasn't really the case. And so as the industry has, I think, taken on board and really welcomed people like us, and they have always been the most supportive, you know, the, the industry themselves, other breweries, other other chains oh, of pubs, good. they have been incredibly supportive. And that's leading to a very social and a very socially responsible boom in, in craft brewing, which is great to see. Oh, amazing. So tell me then, back to the beginning, you said that you were going to um, originally come big companies and ask them, asking them to create roles. So what was Ignition then before it became a brewery? So no, um, uh, I wasn't very clear. The, the sort of the old school traditional methods, right, of people trying to find a job for someone with a learning disability is that, you know, there might be a large DIY store, shop, and they might say, okay, you know, we'll, we'll take a couple of people on to work in the stock room. Or mm. there might be a local pub chain that say, right, well, we'll give somebody a role to do the, the pot washer in the back. Mm. Or there might be a supermarket that say, well, okay, we'll give somebody a role to, to push the trolleys around and, and, again, moving the stock, right? And that was just one of the ways that loads of different organizations and individuals tried to find jobs for people with learning disabilities. But they were never really set up for success. It was always either sort of carved out and then isolated so it wasn't very yeah. rewarding for anyone or started at such a low level that it wasn't very productive or beneficial for the business right yeah and the, the key things that I suppose we we operate on a very different it, it sounds I think when I try and explain it, it sounds very simple but I think it is relatively different and, and unique approach and, and that's firstly you know we assume parity right so when there are things that need doing, we assume that our team can do them and we provide a safe and appropriate situation and environment for which they can, in which they can try and we can train them up in doing them. And it's not always the case that all of them can, you know, mm. um, but the vast majority of the time, they're great at it. And it's also a way that we find out where their talents are. You know, one of our yeah. team, Michaela, uh, has sort of got this extraordinary calligraphy style uh, handwriting you know so she can do she does all the boards and sometimes there are sort of cursive you know script sometimes they're sort of bold and blocked to uh, attract attention you know so you find things like that one of our team michael's brilliant at labeling and he just sits there goes through it but you, you learn these things by yeah. by doing right and if you yeah. try to build a sort of cotton wool wrapped uh, and very very tiny space in which there is a role that you think someone might be able to do by the time you start it there are so many things in the way that it's just not a natural process. So you're not focusing on the talents. You're just trying to get something, you know, that might work. Whereas mm. if you flip that and say, look, you know, we're a business. We are first and foremost a small business. We have to sell enough pints and bottles to pay everybody London living wage. So if they make that beer or they, you know, create a horrendous environment in the tap room, nobody's going to buy the beer. And then nobody has a job. So, you know, we've, we've taken an approach which is very much about highlighting the talents, showing people what they can do, and in a, you know, in a really aspirational setting. And that's, front, you know, front, uh, front and centre is where the team lives. No one wants to see sort of a slightly greying, middle-aged white man, as me, 
um, or, or indeed Nick, my partner, uh, do, do, doing that. You know, we're, we're in the background and we make sure that everything else uh, sort of fits together. But the focus is on them and, and, and we've had very, very few issues along the way. Sure. I mean, so I, I used to be a teacher in France and even like with, um, with students of any age, that came from like quite an oppressive educational system where they weren't encouraged to talk in class and they weren't encouraged to ask questions, like just giving them responsibility for their own learning um, had a phenomenal impact on their education. And I would imagine that that's the exact same for, for any other person, giving them the chance to hold some autonomy for themselves and responsibility for what they do is typically very, very encouraging. Yeah, very empowering. Yeah, and mm. I think being able to talk about it right you know the difference being that when our guys are in events they say i'm a brewer and mm. you know we've done events at sort of tier one investment banks and these guys who are there on i don't know seven figure salaries are like that's cool you know and it is was that what well you know what if it wasn't about consistent sort of wealth generation but working in a brewery sounds like a bloody great thing to do so there, mm. there's that but you know what you said is incredibly true because the other thing that we time and time again realize is that there are no differences, right? It's just, it's it's the same as a normal employee. There are going to be issues, things that they are better at, things that they are not so good at, right? Yeah. You know, we, uh, back in the day, Nick would ask uh, the guys down at Tuesday Club, which is a, a club night for people learn disabilities, what is it that you want? And the response is practically always the same, which is a job and a relationship. And mm. that's the same for everybody else. You know, assuming that the state takes care of a, a safe place to live, the same for everybody else and that's the, you know that's what it comes back to having a job where you feel safe and are part of a team and you are productive and you get to meet interesting people well of course that's you know that's part of the course no one's any different do you think that um there's some kind of infantilizing aspect to the care industry and i don't mean carers because they do a phenomenal job and are dramatically underpaid by a draconian state but maybe in the way that it's kind of encouraged in certainly modern Western states to sort of like separate the old and the young, like make everybody that is a bit different sort of invisible. So to put people with learning disabilities in a different place and to put the old in a different place and to not allow them sort of, you know, responsibility or autonomy for, for themselves. Um, is this the first time for, for some of your um, employees or, or colleagues that they've been given this much autonomy yeah um interesting question i mean i think there's there is a notorious notoriously low expectation from society for people with learning disabilities right mm. and that's that's i'm not sure i don't think that's the same thing when it comes to the elderly or, or other well it is with other groups as well um, and that's one issue but it's also this, this sort of hiding away and you know sweeping under the carpet I mean that over the last few decades and again this is not uh, it's probably a bit before my time or certainly quite a bit before my time but the the system was set up to, to create activities right so instead of having the expectation or the ambition to have people learning disabilities contributing positively to our society and economy they are given something to do which doesn't mm. you know and by removing that and this is again this is fairly similar to the elderly by removing a purpose you know, that takes a bit away from someone. You don't mm. feel like you're contributing. So uh, I suppose if you project that a bit further or extrapolate it, well, how then do you feel that you can engage in societies in other things, you know, in, and take from society whilst also giving back? 
Mm. And and that you know I think that is an issue because it, it was the easiest thing to do, which is you set up this care system, and some of the care system is is such a such a broken system, mm. you know, it's this massive economy that has very little, I suppose, positive user experience embedded in it for the the individuals. You know, mm. if, if people are saying and have been saying for decades, what I really want is a job, right? Well. Why don't you try and create some businesses that build meaningful careers or meaningful jobs for people? It is mm. it's very straightforward to do it. It's not easy and it's not necessarily simple, but it's straightforward. And there are lots of good examples outside of the brewing industry, you know, where people have created interesting businesses that are financially sustainable and that create a community for, for individuals of all different types who are not necessarily included or inclusively focused on by, by larger businesses. And I think mm. that. You're right. You know, just focusing on the core uh, and and sort of brushing everything else to the side is such a short-sighted approach. Partly because at one point all of us are going to fall outside of that, you know, central central core. Be that through illness, be that through age, be that through something unfortunate, all manner of things. Mm. But similarly, there's a huge talent pool there. You know, very few, I think, in my experience anyway, very few people are like, do you know what I want to do with my life? Nothing. <laughs> yeah. right? there's not many you know there might be some kind of slightly debauched uh, libertine-esque who have a very clear idea of what they want to do which is not maybe contributing to, to societal uh, positivity or happiness but most people want to do something you know Definitely. if you look at again in the elderly it's a fascinating stat isn't it that when people retire there is a massive I think, well, not massive, I don't know the numbers, but there's quite a significant step that upon retirement, either get ill or decline rapidly because you're not being used to do something. And cognitively, that's focused normally on uh, interactions. You know, it's not about mm. doing a Sudoku and a crossword. It's about conversing and working with other people, talking to other people, because the, the cues that come off those engagements keep us sharp. You know, it isn't just, as I say, uh, you know, doing a bit of maths or, or reading. It is those social interactions which are so important, the diversity of them that keeps us, I think, a bit fresh. So, yeah, I think that, that, that talent pool thing and saying, you know, if you were to look at those individuals, what would you want from it? And investing a little bit in starting to, to flesh that out, I think. Why do you think um, it's not happening more then? Why do you think the state isn't, isn't doing more of this? Uh, and I, mean, I think it's probably partly because it's hard. Right. I mean, we'd never we'd never um, challenge that. It, it is hard, but it's also the because the system, again, the sort of legacy system was, you know, we need it was in the creation of something that provided, you know, a loose structure to the week. And the easy way of doing that is you've got fixed costs that say, look, you've got to have a session here. You can have an activity here. There might be a, a support worker who takes you out twice a week. Right. And then after a while, as things have evolved in society and I suppose, um, you know, the wider economy, parents are now saying, well, you know, when my child reaches normally 25 and they finish sort of education things, I want there to be something for them to do, which is, you know, means they're a part of something. And again, mm. it's not necessarily about a massive salary or even, you know, a career in the sense that it can, you know, develop, but a, a job and a role and a position is quite important. So the state have tried different things and they have incentivized through lots of schemes, you know, there's access to work, there are other things that provide funding and provide support and provide, you know, small steps. And some of the, there's lots of organisations out there whose primary job it is to find 
jobs or at least work experience for people with learning disabilities. But mm. what they haven't done is said, well, obviously that doesn't work very well, right? Because any results they do get are so crunched through the system. You know, you've got to force them and try and manage so that one person stays in a job for four months. And the answer is actually that the, the jobs don't exist in the right structure for yeah. those individuals to, you know, to demonstrate their talents. So having started that way around saying, well, how do we squeeze them into this system? The, the truth is what needs to really to happen is say we need a slightly different system, which is how do we look at incentivizing or encouraging businesses to start where roles are naturally more suited to be more inclusive? On that, and this is quite an abstract question, perhaps, but what do you think um, the current mode of business or, or character of modern business could learn from working with people with learning disabilities? Um, oh, I thought you were going. I thought you were going somewhere else. I sort of just uh, pre prepared a different answer. Um, <laughs> I, think, I think there are two things. One, which I, uh, was not your question at all, but I'll say it, is that mm-hmm. the you know the the shift in the wider economy, certainly in the UK, and we are we tend to be at the sort of forefront of these things, is around businesses having a clear position on what their purpose is or their social mission, right? And that momentum is growing rapidly. It's been increased through the pandemic. Um, and I hope that momentum will stay. Obviously, there's still an, a, a fairly high level of purpose washing or green washing with people coming up with big statements without there being anything at the, you know, backing it up. But also there are, I think, societally, we are demanding both in how we spend our money, but also in uh, how we choose our jobs and where we go and those sorts of things, which is encouraging businesses to be more socially driven, more purpose driven, more, you know, and that's the move away from sort of um, full on concentrated capitalism to saying that you know there needs to be something else here that that allows us to interact with and positively contribute to our society um to your question i think there's i think there's quite a lot so you know in terms of and we've had some really interesting conversations and we've spoken to you know boards of large corporates we've spoken to groups of retail organizations and and done some work with one of the utility sectors that says look if you if you try and work through this, you can take small steps. We are an extreme example. You know, we're not expecting everyone to turn around and say, look, we're just only going to employ people with learning disabilities now. But if, if you start to embrace it, it's, there are lots of good positives that can come from it. One, and these are based on business, I suppose, but one is reliability. You know, our team are incredibly reliable. They've been turning up for work the whole time for the last six years um, and, you know, and more, filling when it's needed, very, very reliable and loyal. So, you know, again, if you talk to lots of companies, one of their big problems is churn. You know, they lose mm. staff, move on so quickly. And the cost of acquisition and the cost of training people up is really high. So even simple businesses, right, well, why do we get people who would love to have that job, learn how to do it really well, and then they'll be, you know, as long as they're treated well, they'll be, they'll be keen and happy to stay there. You know, that is mm. just a simple business decision. Beyond that, it's how it influences the team, you know. So having a diverse team is really important. It, in a lot of people, it encourages much better behavior being responsible, feeling empowered to work with people and help them. That's a really good thing. And it encourages better behavior. Outside of that, it's also how you, you know, in terms of customer service roles or um, sort of just genuine human interaction. That's a really important thing. You know, our guys are friendly. 
They are so, you know, they're so nice to talk with. They're, they're brilliant in the bar because people come in and you get a massive, you know, hello, what, you know, and they've got, <laughs> you know, crumbs as opposed, to in, as opposed to in London where what you're normally met with is a sort of, you know, yeah. someone just staring three metres behind you until you <laughs> force engagement. So, so yeah, there are lots of positives that come. And, you know, we ran a session with a, um, a sector, a utility sector. And if you, it was a very, I'll explain through a very simple question that we shifted. If you said, look, what um, jobs do you think there are in your organisation for somebody with a learning disability? People struggle, right? Even though there are so many people um, in the country who either have direct or maybe once, you know, one step away um, experience of, of knowing or being friends with or family with someone with a learning disability. And then if you flip that and, and we said, look, um, what jobs do you think there are in your organisation for somebody who is a trained brewer and barman? Right? Mm. Now that's it. And then everyone's like, yeah, hands up. You could, they could do this. They could do that. They'd be really good at this. Oh, actually, we've got, you know, we can't get enough of these engineers because they all, you know, they work with us for six months and they want to get promoted or do this. There's loads of things. Um, and that's, you know, again, indicative that if you focus in on the thing that we are normally quite, uncomfortable with as a society right you know how do I talk to that person how do I when your kid says really loudly what is that you say someone is in a wheelchair and you've got to explain but those people are like of course yeah explain please you know just be inclusive just be open and kind and you'll be you'll be welcomed and be happy you know really happy conversation so I think there's lots of things people can learn by being more inclusive and it also opens up opportunities it makes you more aware as an organization of who you are serving right you know there's a one and a half million people um in the uk so you know that is a huge market so being more inclusive uh-huh. understanding that if you know a necessary um an absolutely necessary service goes down how do you respond to people with learning disabilities well you, you have no idea if you have people on your team that's a really good way of working through it again so there's, I think there's lots of positives. And again, just being a responsible and a reflective organisation of the society that, that feeds you, really. Oh, oh it's such a lovely mission. <laughs> I didn't know that it was that the and stats were one, one and a half. M- Sorry? And, and it's beer. So, you know, even, yeah, as long as it is enjoyed responsibly, it normally <laughs> is enjoyed in a positive and happy way. So yeah. good old beer. Yeah. Yeah. What kind of um, learning disabilities do your um, colleagues have typically? Um, we don't we don't really talk about that. Um, okay. Not, not in a sort of hidden family secret way, but you know the focus has always been on their strengths and their skills. Um, so you know we are a very diverse team, but the key thing is that you know saying well you know as I said, Michaela has got a brilliant cursive script. Chris is fantastic at customer service and he's a really good DJ. Michael is brilliant at labeling. And again, it's that, you know, once you work with people and you learn how, how, how they can contribute and how, where their strengths are and also how you can help them develop in other ways, as opposed to trying to band in, you know, what are the learning disabilities, what of this, just focusing on an individual and an employee is the way that we've gone about it. Right, sure, of course. Um, I'm just... Um... Essentially, I just find it interesting if it would um, challenge somebody's preconception of, of what is and, and isn't possible. Um, but no, I, mean, I, 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 well, in, a, in a bit of a gen, generalization, we don't tend to work with people who have dyslexia or something like that. We, we are further down the spectrum. 
Mm. Uh, you know, again, our sort of hope is that we can be a proof of concept. You know, we can demonstrate to people that, you know, as long as you work kindly and carefully, that you can get real benefit out of lots of different people doing lots of different things. Um, mm. So, you know, for us, it's being uh, an example that is, is, again, fairly far down the spectrum so that others hopefully go, you know, we should be better. We could be better. Why don't we start somewhere a little bit upriver? Yeah, and yeah. You know, we'd be delighted if anyone did do that. How does um, this this job change your your colleagues' lives over the course of however long? Um, I mean, yeah, I think I mean, I hope positively, and from all that they tell us, yeah, I think that's the case. The one of the interesting things is that at the very beginning we did say we didn't have our own brewery, right? So you go to other place called Gypsy Brewery, you sort of where someone will you know let to you, or there's a, an open slot, you turn up somewhere else. You do your brew, you bugger off, you come back in a couple of weeks, bottle it, and then you take your beer, right? And in the early days, the guys were always, you know, they'd always say, like, oh, are we doing this again? Because they didn't know whether or not it was just a thing, you know, because in their, you know, normal lives, it had always been just a thing. It'd be like a one-off. Whereas Like an activity. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Whereas trying to have the confidence that, no, no, this is your job. You know, if you, if you do it properly, you do it well you will continue to have this job and we will make sure as best we are able that the business continues to, uh, to, to at least survive, if not grow. Um, mm. So one of the things was when we then moved into the, into the brewery in 2017, that created a home, right? So it means that you, everyone knows where they are. Everyone knows how to get there. And that confidence built quite quickly and quite uh, demonstrably that I've got a job. I turn up, I've got my job, I know everybody, positive environment, you know, silly as anywhere else, you know, maybe you've got the radio on or doing silly games, whatever it is, but really positive thing there. And I think the, from what we have heard in speaking to the team, you know, it's a highlight of the week. And that's great. Because I think even though everyone always talks about, you know, if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. Well, that's <laughs> frankly bollocks. That's not You've true. never worked a day in your life. That's, you know, I mean, mm, sounds like you, you, have, uh, you have managed something quite extraordinary there. Whereas, sounds like you have a trust fund. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah my job is actually distributing my enormous private wealth. That, not, that's not a job. That is not a job. That is, um, you know, good on you, but not at all. Um, whereas, you know, so for our guys, the it comes back to this thing, which is the the direct interaction with the public. It's being a part of the community, not just going to your clubs where it's only people with a learning disability, not just going out to things where somebody's paid to go with you, but being a part of the community, right? And it's, you know, the tap room is a really, it's a, it's a, it's a really positive place. Mm. And because it's one of the strengths of beer is because it is social. People love going out for beers, love meeting up with friends. Like, you know, we have quizzes and I don't know, whiskey tastings. We had name that tune. We had a we had a weird, it wasn't at all weird, but it was quite strange. But you know, Christmas karaoke things, yeah. all of this sort of stuff, and it's it's theirs. And I think that, you know, when they turn up for their shifts behind the bar, the regulars know their names. They yeah. they know their names. They're interacting with people there, and they're serving the stuff that they've made. So I think it's this you know, pride and purpose that makes the difference. And that's, and that's one of the reasons it's been so hard over COVID because we have, we've been able for the vast majority anyway to keep the brewery open safely, obviously with some fairly significant changes to staffing levels and how things are done. 
um, mm. tap rooms being shut, uh, obviously. Um, mm. And there's a balance then of saying, you know, in terms of mental health versus physical health. Obviously, COVID has had a massive and a severe impact on people with learning disabilities. But similarly, if you've got someone who now never leaves the house and is in effect by themselves for 23 hours a day and missing both the social interaction and their other activities as well as work, it's quite a, a significant thing. So, yeah, so I think I hope it's a really good thing. Nobody ever wants to leave. You know, they're always keen to get involved in everything and we have a lot of smiling faces. So hopefully it's a, yeah, a positive thing for them all. Must be amazing to, to walk in, um, like as a, as a first time customer to, to walk in and to see that. It must be quite amazing. Um, have you had, like, what are the preconceptions you think that, that fall away quite quickly? If somebody walks in and doesn't expect this and, actually, you know, sits down and has a beer and starts speaking with the people that run the bar, what do you think are the preconceptions that change the, the quickest? Because, I mean, one and a half million in the UK, but really rather too often invisible. Um separated by schools, separated by care, separated, yeah. I mean, so, I, the, the main, I haven't thought about this as a split second answer, but I, I think mm-hmm. the main thing is actually the the other people themselves, the thing that changes most rapidly is that, oh, well, this, this is just like talking to a person. Yeah. You know, because the, the ignorance breeds fear or at least mm-hmm. hesitancy or discomfort. And that's a big thing to overcome. You know, you see somebody say, like, I don't know, there's obviously something different about them. I don't know what it is. I don't know how I'm supposed to act. I don't know what I'm supposed. You know, I don't. And often it's born of a good place, which is I don't want to offend or uh, or irritate or or distress. So I think the first thing is when you talk to someone, you go, "Oh, can I have can I have two pints, please?" And they go, "Yep, yeah, here's two pints. That's mm-hmm. a tenner." And you go, "Right, great." And then, you know, and they start a bit of a conversation. You know, "Oh, which beer do you want? Or which would you recommend?" And you go, "Well, this one's this. This one's this. This one's this." And you have a a perfectly normal conversation in a bar slash tap room environment and you go sit down and immediately you feel a whole lot more confident uh, from the experience mm-hmm. and similarly you've just gone and got two pints and you you drink them and then go oh well that's nice isn't it okay yeah so i think you know for me it's it, bizarrely it's the other way around it's not about the preconception of what you know the abilities or the or the limitations of people with learning disabilities but it's your own you know, confidence and comfort in interacting. So the next time, you know, you go in and you say, hello, you know, be it Chris or hello, Chris, how are you doing? And you go, oh, brilliant, thanks very much. And, you know, mm-hmm. that, that thing builds. And I always, I don't always, I have uh, maybe once or twice in the past, so, you know, I think our biggest, our biggest impact in terms of magnitude is each time, you know, those individual interactions or those individual beers that people drink that make them, change their perception to say, mm. okay, oh, this was made by someone with an language. That's really nice. You know, it's those smaller things. And, and the, I think the lens or the access point of beer slash brewing is a really easy one. You know, again, I'm not, I think probably a bit generous to say that was uh, part of the design, but it's certainly been something we've learned, which is, you know, because it is social, because after a couple of beers, people, lose a bit of their inhibitions or feel more comfortable or confident and are with their friends and it creates that environment which gives the experience that hopefully would get people to think differently if they saw someone in the street or if their kid asked a slightly loud uh, uh, and a bit awkward question or you know in the workplace most importantly right gotcha 
tell me uh, just before we get into the the business side of things how, how did you get into this line of work so i um i've worked in startups for uh too long now and the sort of key vein of those is sustainable social businesses right so i like businesses that are um have a core positive element to who they are not an optional thing later on you know we might give 10 percent of our profits away it has to be a core purpose sort of hardwired in and mm-hmm. they have to be a business right so there is there are lots of brilliant organizations that exist and thrive through grants through projects through all those sorts of things but what i like is that you know there is a clear product or a service and you sell it and that demonstrates the demand and gives the capacity for growth and, and scale both of that business and the impact um, and within that i suppose i'd have uh, always mentored or, or advised or worked with different organizations in different ways and very originally i was nick who is my business partner uh, nick's mentor so we started off in a sort of mentor mentee uh, relationship which was um which was great you know it was at the very beginning and you know in those days we were doing you know one brew every month or a couple of months depending on what happened and and fairly quickly we sort of said you know why don't we do it together um, mm. and and that's been you know i think uh, lots of anyone who's a, a founder or, or run a startup you know having a, having someone else there to share the load with is is a really good thing and we work well we are different in character in a lot of ways but very similar in values so um, so that's how I got involved. And we, you know, neither of us know how to brew. We made a very conscious decision not to learn. So we have a head brewer day. But, well, because it means, you know, the guys are the experts, right? Yeah. Nick, yeah, Nick's an economist. Um, so, he, you know, he focuses on some of those things. I do, I do a lot of the strategy and the sales. Um, but the guys are the brewers. You know, Dave trains them up, gets them to always learn new things and try new beers. And we do fun things. But, um, yeah, so brewing, I think, I suppose... I, Again, a long time ago, so I might just be sort of imprinting what I think now and what I felt at the time, but really exciting to do something very different, a lot of challenges, and again, beer, isn't it? So it's always, there's always fun at the end of it, and it's a positive thing. So that's how we got into it. And tell me, how are you encouraging others around the UK and maybe the world um, to replicate this model? Are you doing workshops? Are you going out and contacting other breweries or other social enterprises? What, what's the strategy there? Um, so different different things. I mean, we've always been very open to I suppose, show people what we do. You know, so we've had lots of people visit and say, that's really interesting. We've had lots of you know, talks and other things with people sharing what we do and how we do it, and hopefully that lifts us down in some ways. Um, initially, well, not initially, I suppose, it took me years right now, isn't it? A while ago, or a while ago before before pandemic, we, we looked, you know, what do we do now? Uh, we had the sustainable model, the, the testing was working well, um, and it was at a time when we were in a, a good position to do something, or, you know, we'd be sort of hands off and give it a few years and we'd be a, a, an interesting curio, you know, something that exists and is a good thing that exists, but that's where it, that's where it stopped. Um, and we decided we'd have a look at the growth and the scaling, and part of that, or well, the first solution was by having a bigger brewery. Right? So we've got a small brewery, have a bigger brewery, make loads of beer, you try and sell it to a supermarket or wholesalers or that sort of thing, you become a more traditional brewery. And then we quickly realised that that wasn't really what we wanted to achieve. And this was when it was coming to light that the value of the tap room is a huge part of the quality of the job and the quality of life for our people. 
Um, so you, also, when you get a big brewery, you know, it's a bigger tank. It doesn't necessarily make many more jobs. It's a lot more automated. Beer just goes into a system and turns out cans. You put them in a lorry and they just go. Um, mm. So it didn't really feel like it uh, delivered on our core purpose, I think. Um, so then we started looking at, well, how do we replicate our model? And there are some simple red lines with what we do. You know, you've got to employ people with a learning disability. You've got to pay the local living wage. You've got to create and encourage a positive working environment. And you've got to make good quality fresh beer. Right. And you've got to be a sustainable business. But the other things we don't mind too much about, if somebody wants to call themselves whatever, I don't mind. If they want to make different styles of beer, whatever, knock yourselves out as long as it's good. And and that sort of generated, and now what we're looking at is, is how we replicate our model so that it creates more positive jobs and how we can help other organizations go through those early years quickly, efficiently, effectively, and get up to speed faster. So our, we're not sort of publicly launched, but we've had quite a few different organizations get in contact with us, be they third sector organizations that focus on the support of people with learning disabilities, local councils, individuals, um, and at some point, when the timing is right, obviously, hospitality has taken a bit of a battering. Uh, though we're, we're, we're very um, stable, which we're very fortunate and glad for. Um, we will release that and say, look, what we want is communities all over the, the UK. And indeed, if they happen to get, in, uh, get in, involved and get in touch uh, worldwide to say, we'd like to replicate your model and, and grow a sort of an ignition alliance or a partnership where we, we help others learn from our, our experience and our mistakes but also ensure that they are able to manifest uh, their own vision for what their brewery and tap room should be for their community. You know, I'd love one in, a, in, in Mayfair. I'd love one on a, I don't know, a canal boat in Oxford. Mm -hmm. You can imagine one in a sort of barn in a sort of rural area, whatever. But as long as there's somewhere where there's a community that is quite caring and um, interested in this sort of thing, I think they'll be fine. Because, you know, we're based in Sydenham, which is in uh, southeast London, and it's, you know, it's an unremarkable community. We get, I think, less than 1% of our sales comes from the fact that we are very close to London or part of London. That's not nothing to do with it. The vast majority of our beer is sold within two miles of the, of the brewery. So oh, wow. to replicate that, you don't need to only go to Manchester or Glasgow or, or Cardiff. You can go to small communities right. where there is a lot of community feel. And that's you know, the other side of that wave that the pandemic has stoked is that local is the new exotic, you know, local is the new luxury. It used to be that you get a, I don't know, a guava flown in from thousands of miles away. Oh, wow, a guava. Whereas now what you want is something that has been made down the road. I don't know why guavas are just <laughs> dragon fruit, you know, all these sort of things, which seems completely pointless to, to fly halfway around the world. Whereas now the luxury is local. It's like, well, I've got this and it was made just down there. Uh, I know that they use English hops, that the beer doesn't travel anywhere and I'm drinking it and it's a small footprint and that's, you know, what we want in the community. So hopefully that's one way of doing it. We'll always, you know, talk to people and discuss with people how we operate. And then in the, in the long run, you know, the long term dream is that there's a whole group of Ignition partners or members um, doing a similar thing. And that when you go to a, wherever it is, a bar or a city or a country and you find it and you know, what you're going to get is fresh, sustainably produced beer served with a big smile and a happy atmosphere. And that would be great. What a wonderful note to end on, actually. Wow. Thank you very, very, very much. Um, I mean, 
just as a slight appendage to what you're saying, it seems like a no-brainer. It seems like a no-brainer for the government to start subsidizing schemes like that for the care industry to get involved in it as well. Um, especially, I mean, if you're creating like a, a financially closed loop as in you're sustaining yourself um, and providing people with the opportunities that they need, it's phenomenal. Yeah, I think I think it's it's a, the interesting point there, Rachel, is that it's if you start putting those incentives in, my concern is that it attracts people who are not committed to making it a sustainable business. Right. So that's where we're a bit unique. You know, if you start saying look, we'll give you the, I don't know, uh, capital um, investment to set it up. OK, fair enough. You know, but making sure that the, the people who have got skin in the game and who are responsible for it have the right outlook and the right, you know, it's not about trying to get grant money in to do training courses. You know, you, first and foremost, you have to be a small business because that's when, or, uh, or a business, that doesn't, have be, <laughs> doesn't have to be small, not restricting us there. But that's when you can start talking to other organizations and saying, look, you should be doing this as well. We've shown it here. You can do it in your way, in your own time and, and you know, within your structure, that's fine. So I, I absolutely agree. And I hope that those, you know, those, um, be it funding or incentives or, or capital raises or something that mean that people can get the equipment and be up and running, absolutely. But a key thing is about making sure that it is run as a business that demands good quality from their staff and the right sort of mm. approach, because only then is it something which is sustainable. If it's if it requires outside funding all the time, it will mm. you know it will decline because it becomes the same thing again. It's a it's a service, you know, it's a funded service. Oh, oh, sure, sure. Um, I think it's sort of one of the issues I personally have with um, the third sector. Um, is the way that it's sort of been created and it's now dependent on it's always dependent on donations or on you know generosity or whatever when you know we have a free market as much as it may be an absolute nightmare to navigate most of the time but there are opportunities in which to sort of create your own finances as a non-profit organization and feed and feed yourself and i certainly hope that that is the future of the third sector and i think we're seeing this wave of social enterprises as a response to its weaknesses to the holes in its armor um but nevertheless, you know, having a subsidy up front to, or even, you know, a bloody PDF that's like, you know, this is what we're doing. This, this is happening. Yeah, <laughs> we're likely to have, I think, you know, a bit of a hollowing out of the high street. So you're right. Mm. You know, there was a package which said, as long as you meet these criteria, you know, you've got somebody who is a qualified brewer. You've got a, a manager who has experience X, Y and Z, you know, and you have the backing of, I don't know, a local community representative or something we will help start you up brilliant you know those sort a package that makes sure the right people are doing it but gives them you know removes that sort of funding hurdle i think would be yeah would be fantastic yeah but it is interesting what you're saying that um you see it the strength of it lying in the community and not just the community of the colleagues with the community around in the community center and then the, your wider buyers that are within a two mile radius the people that come in and drink and that that is what has given it the strength um, to grow as opposed to a nameless sort of institution throwing some money at, at it and saying, get it done. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. Fascinating. I don't know enough about the third sector now. I need to go off and learn more. Thank you, Will. What an interesting conversation. Yeah, we're really good. And thank you for listening. <laughs> don't get many opportunities to, to talk a lot these days, so I'm sort of very happy for this. <laughs> Tell me, um, and I think I forgot to ask you to prepare this. Um, 
But much in the same way that Alice platformed you, is there someone in your network that you would like to platform to be interviewed on this podcast? Oh, cool. Um, let me have a think about it. Sure. And I will, I will, yeah, I'm sure there is, but let me have a think and then I'll, I'll send something over when I've come up with the right person. All right. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Will. Brilliant. Lovely to talk, Rachel, and Thank we'll speak to you. Hello, hello. You can find Ignition Brewery in South London or at ignition.beer. Go and check out what they're up to. And as Will said, if you're interested in emulating their model, please don't hesitate to reach out to them. Also, before you go, don't forget to leave us a five-star rating and subscribe over at platformenterprise.com. Um, I just want to say an amazing way to support the podcast would be choosing a paid subscription if you have the means. I would really appreciate it. All right, everyone. Thank you for your support. See you next week.